0: If you've been following along, you'll know in my game that the players are in possession of a small iron chest, an iron coffer, containing something that is supposed to be, at the very least, extremely valuable. The mystery around what's inside this little box has grown in the two sessions of the game thus far. The truth is, I don't really know what's inside. I had an idea but I find myself at the point where I need to absolutely know what's going to be inside the box and what is the nature of the box. In the end, I did something I don't normally do, and I think I may have defined critical elements of the game, and that is, roll on the charts in the Dungeon Master's Guide. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. Where we left off was the players had returned from Skagros Island with their prize, the box, and they made their way to the Golden Hen Inn, which is where Calda, the tiefling wizard, and his mentor were staying. The party had decided to stay together and use this inn as their base of operations. But they walked into a situation they weren't expecting. It turns out that Calda's mentor, the wizard Riziki, had been accused of killing, slaughtering, three people in their room in a horrific fashion. The innkeeper angrily berates Calda, and town guards waiting in the inn immediately come up, and we end the session with with the guards attempting to arrest them. That's one thing that I'm going to have to deal with, and I'll talk about my strategy for for that uh, in a moment. But beyond that, I've got a session to run. Things have to happen. And so I had to think of the threads that could potentially come out of it, and admittedly, I can't 100% know. It's an open-ended game system. The players can do anything they want. Beyond the situation with the guards, however, I spent a lot of time thinking and brainstorming, and I have identified three basic threads that can draw the players in. So I identified three main threads. Number one, pursuit of the storyline around the iron coffer. The other one, the more pressing one at the moment, actually, is the exploration of this uh, murder charge, charges being levied against Riziki and that entire situation. And the third is tied into the backstory for Calda the Wizard, which is the pursuit of this mysterious magical tome. The whole reason that Calda and his mentor are in Outpost 9 is the pursuit of something called the Balnexicon, which is a dread mystic tome. Those three things become the avenues. I'm looking to do that thing where I stop driving the game. To this point, I've really been driving everything that happens. I've been the one to say, okay, you're already on the island of Skagros and I've, I've placed them in a position to choose, oh, do you run for the jungle, or do you try to go on a ship, or do you run for, you know, those kind of decisions. This is the first time, though, where the players are, are, are going to have the open-ended decision of, so what do you guys do? There are all kinds of important things that are lined up which they can drive towards, and I just listed them out, those three key things. There's the completion of the mission involving the iron box. There is the immediate question of Calda's mentor is in prison, and how are they going to deal with that, as well as the accusation, and what does all that mean? And then lastly is the pursuit of the of the Balnexicon, which is what Calda was doing right from the start. And these four things, number one, how do you deal with the guards that are attempting to arrest you? And then beyond that, which of these three avenues are the players going to pursue And I kind of have to flesh, to a degree, all of that out in order to proceed with session three. I think it's useful to talk about how I got there. Because that, in itself, is a fairly constrained or contained assessment of the situation from the Dungeon Master's perspective right now. I spent a lot of time with a pad of paper, sketching down ideas writing words with arrows pointing to them and all that kind of good stuff to try to unpack the situation. Try to have story flows, right? So you say, Right now the guards are trying to grab them, that's my starting place. What are the branches that can come off that? And I probably scribbled on ten to fifteen pieces of paper in an attempt to unbundle in in my mind. And what you what I what I rapidly wind up doing is is stopping uh, pursuing branches of potentiality and start to less look at it as a predefined trail or set of trails that the the players can go down and, and look at um, them more like islands in a sea. And the, each island would be an important thing and an obvious thing that we could land on. How they get to each island, the path they take, the things that they do, that's not anything... Uh, that I can control, and attempting to predict the the details of that, or the order in which they go to certain points, uh, that way lies madness. I have a folder filled right now with like six pages of stuff. And to, to unpack the different elements that I, I looked at, right, maybe it's more like eight pages. Oh God, it's like 10. What I would do is, uh, it's almost like a, a work session. I would i would say, okay, one of the threads is this pursuit of the Nexicon, And then I just wrote down, well, how might that be pursued? What would be, I, I kind of, what are key highlights that could lead them to, as a group, to potentially go down that pursuit? And also, and this is the most important thing, I would sit there and go, what would that lead to? What would... What adventure does that, that bring them towards? The other thing, and I, and I did that for the Balnexicon, I did that for the, the Iron Coffer, um, I did it for the the Murder Mystery, essentially. But then the, the other thing I did was I made a, a a little grid, and I wrote down, the I have in the columns the three areas of pursuit, and then in each row I have each of the players, and I made notes on how important I thought pursuing that would be for that character at this stage. Uh, interestingly enough, I found not a ton of overlap. But this was sort of useful because it forced me to think of it uh, from the player's perspective, from the character's perspective, and say, well, what's, gonna, what, what's the key motivation for them? What, what is, what's the driving force currently? What are their goals currently? And I can do that because I asked them. So I guess if there's a bit of advice on that, I would say ask your players what it is that they're they're trying to achieve. And this is going back to session zero at this stage. I think as the campaign rolls forward, I'm going to have to do a good job of continuing to ask, "Hey, what's what's most important to Voss?" And I have to give a uh, props to to my my player Bruce, who's playing Mir, who uh, every single one of these would work for him in terms of how he's built out his, uh, his character and motivations and and linked him to the world. That's the, another thing that I did. I looked at, well, what's the, what's the character's motivations and how does that line up with these, these three storylines or potential storylines? And I did that for each of them. I, so I, you know, I rolled out the, the crime, I rolled out the coffer, um, or I should say, I unpacked those things to try to figure out. Well, what's what are the things I, I I need to be prepared for to really get through this session? Only when I had done all of that work, and I think that can that can come up in different forms for different people. For me, it's a blend of uh, of notes, just random crazy notes on on pieces of paper, mixed with attempts at a organiz- or, or focused organization like making a grid that plots these three elements alongside all the, all the players' uh, goals. And then I come back to a, um, a, f- a flow of sorts, that island design where it's here's the keep the big, the big rocks that you can see out ahead of you. and do I need to be worried about how they would get from Rock A to Rock B? The answer is I don't. I know enough about Outpost 9 in order to um, improv that, depending on what the players decide to do. But it, it does mean I have to do some design work ahead of time on each of the big rocks or islands in this particular metaphor. So that's the situation that's standing in front of me at the moment. So the the approach I came up with, or the approaches for each of the, the issues, are are centered around a couple of in the beginning at least for the the situation with the guards i needed to think through the, the role playing and the character interactions and i really had to think through that exact scene and moment who were the characters in that scene what are they going to be doing and i'm talking about you know the players but also the mostly the npcs and how am i going to diffuse this pickle i've gotten myself into and you have the 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 group of players together, they're in the inn, and they're now um, being accused of of uh, collusion with a with a, a a horrible murder, and so the guards are attempting to arrest them. Constantine, the dwarf played by Mike, said prior to the guards coming in and trying to accost everybody that. As soon as the, the owner started um, berating Calda, he would have been fading into the crowd. So he'll have a clear and probably very good opportunity to not be included in this scene. And that's likely going to be the first thing I have to deal with. So a couple of things. You have this conflict. The guards want to arrest them and take them in for questioning. The players do not want to be taken in for questioning, for sure. If I let this play out, I'd say there's a very good chance that the players, at least some of them, will decide to fight. Why would they decide to fight? Because this is a game, and in real life, you have to acquiesce to people in higher authority than you. And in the game world, you are supposed to be playing a badass. And part of the reason, I think, we're all so drawn to playing in this world that is so far removed from our own in the past and in a world that is very much a lawless place, even if there is the law, like the guards, is because you don't want to have to give in. And so I, I think there's a very good chance that if I let, if I were to just let this play out in linear fashion, we would have, uh, a bunch of dead guards on our hands. Even on, even at second level, I think, um, there'd be a very good chance that the party would, would win against the guards. So how am I going to defuse it, is the, is the question. And I knew I was going to do this probably from the, the moment after I said goodbye to, to everybody uh, during the last game session. There's another character in the room. And part of the design work I've done is, is working out who she is. I knew she was going to be a inquisitor, right? Outpost nine is this place that is under threat from something called the the Faithful of Semyana. The Faithful of Semyana, it's a group of folks following the angel Semyana as they attempt to ascend to godhood. And they have been seizing power all across the region. Outpost nine is the one power center that comes from outside the region. It is influenced by Ravenest, the capital city of another country called Westumber. The threat that the faithful of Semyana will come and crush uh, Outpost Nine is omnipresent. And they're very afraid of this. And so there are people like this character I'm about to introduce whose job it is to root out spies and uh, those who are followers of Semyana within Outpost 9. Her name is Nimelda Blackbriar, and she is a halfling woman. Uh, I envision her to be in her 40s, so well-seasoned. And uh, again, I intend her to be uh, a somewhat neutral character, meaning, again, her alignment is not neutral, but she is not here to be a villain, neither is she here to be the party's boon friend and companion how they engage with her will make all the difference. She is going to intercede in this moment before a fight can break out between everybody and she's going to stop it. She's going to stop the guards from arresting the the players and she's going to have the inn cleared. So in truth, she's not stopping the guards from arresting the players. She's simply changing it from, we're going to take you into custody and bring you up to the fort and throw you in prison cells before we start asking you questions and take all your stuff. Instead, she's going to essentially say, we've already got you and it's right here. And what I, what I want to do is I want to remove all the civilians from the inn. And she's going to question them in the inn one at a time. And Calda will be the last one. Will the players go for this? I'd say there's a much higher chance based on who she is and how she will approach the situation. She's going to berate the innkeeper for not having cleared the inn prior to this. And the guards are going to calm down when she's present. She'll apologize to the players. I find characters like this tend to um, diffuse players' concern because now they feel that there's a role playing out, and if they just talk to this supposedly reasonable person, they can get to where they need to go. In working on her and designing what's going on with her, I thought very much about what it is she wants. I think that's maybe the most important thing you can do with an NPC. And in her case, she, she wants this situation to go away. She's not here to deal with strange murders at the, at the inn. She's here to find the followers of Semyana, the faithful of Semyana, and root them out of Outpost 9 as the clear and present threat. I don't think she believes that either the players nor Riziki... Calda's wizard mentor, are actually part of the followers of Semyana. Additionally, Riziki and Calda, for that matter, are from the, the wizard's Lysium, the wizard's college in Ravenest, and she too is from Ravenest, and there would be a scandal if one of the masters of the wizard's college was actually responsible for the murder. And in the end, after she's interrogated everyone, and hopefully they're shrewd enough to provide answers that allow her to say, okay, you're, you're just uh, a, a bystander to this situation. I don't need you. But Calda, clearly that, that won't work with him because it's a little more complicated than that. She's going to take him up to the scene of the crime, their room. The room is going to be covered in blood because the three people that were murdered up there were decimated. They're they're in pieces. They're, there's body parts, and I think if uh, Calda is able to befriend her a little bit, if she has the sense that Calda is not um, useless, if she thinks this is someone who's shrewd enough to understand the situation and who I can work with, she may point out certain things because the people one of the dead bodies bears a tattoo on a piece that is visible, suggesting that those who were killed are connected to the faithful of Semyana, And therefore, maybe this can be spun so that Riziki was under duress and forced to kill these people, but that, of course, the challenge is that he's kind of um, a little out of his mind, and he doesn't remember anything, and he can't explain what actually happened. So. This situation will be diffused, I hope, from the players actually wanting to give battle with any town's guards or getting arrested and brought up to the fort by this NPC, who then the players will have to deal with. And as long as they don't say anything extremely ridiculously stupid, I think they'll get out of the situation and have a different, more clarified thing in front of them, which is, um, for Calda how can I get my master out of prison? And it could be as simple as helping to ship him back to Ravenest, which will lead to a whole other set of complications. But it'll put the players, at least, out of the immediate pressure of dealing with Arrest, and therefore be able to look at these three threads of um, potentiality and decisioning for themselves. And those are the ones I've talked about before, which is, are they going to, how are they going to finish the mission from Skagros, which involves the Iron Coffer? They've been talking about casting Detect Magic on it. I know they have to go back to Mig's uh, Ten Fingers and deal with him. So there's that thread, which leads to more potential choices and options. There is, okay, what are we doing about Riziki? And I think for a lot of the, the characters, there's there's not a lot in there for them. Although, we'll see, now that they're connected with Calda to some degree. And could there be payment involved in pursuing that mystery? Maybe. And then, lastly, Calda is here to retrieve the Balnexicon. It'll be interesting if he does, in fact, want to aggressively pursue that, which is the mission and why he's in Outpost Nine. So once I get out of dealing with this situation with the guards in the inn, and hopefully it comes to some benign resolution. The other things that I've been looking at are these other rocks or islands in the design, uh, these three elements. And for each of them, I need to have, well, what's the next step? So in the case of the iron coffer, it's dealing with MIG's Meg's ten fingers and noting that uh, certain things have happened that the ship captain that betrayed them has already come back to Outpost 9, already met with Migs, and has already explained that everyone was killed on the island because that's what he thought happened. The opportunity, once they get with Migs and identify that they haven't been killed, that they've been able to return, and what they're going to do with this iron coffer, which I'll get to a little later, the the threat of adventure that that can lead to is Migs will... Offer them a chance to gain revenge on Captain Castigari, who is the captain that the captain that betrayed them. You, you may or may not recall that there were two captains. There was Captain Nupo, who's the pirate captain, and then there's Captain Castigari, who is the captain of the ship that brought them to the island. And when they tried to escape on his ship, betrayed them and was in cahoots with Nupo. And so Miggs will provide them with information about what Castigari is up to, and that could lead them to a piece of, of adventure. There's a there's a house that exists outside of the town proper that has a secret cavern system that, that allows for smuggling. And so Castigari has been using that, and it's an opportunity to go and assault the house and exact revenge on Castigari for his betrayal. That'll be one optional threat. In the case of pursuing um, Riziki, there's a whole horde of stuff that I don't think I want to get into in this podcast, but it essentially comes down to investigating the the three dead folks, and specifically the one. And there will be clues and elements in all of this, as long as they're able to somewhat befriend and gain the trust of Inquisitor uh, Blackbriar that will lead them to a warehouse, which the uh, the faithful of Semyana are operating out of. And it would be a mission to, to go in and eradicate them. This would provide payment, which I think would hopefully uh, inspire a number of the members who aren't directly connected to this thread to, to wanna participate. And the last thing, which I think is the most uh, remote, I think it's the the least urgent is a better way to put it, is the pursuit of the Balnexicon. I definitely think we'll come back to this. The pursuit of the Balnexicon will ultimately lead them out of Outpost 9 and beyond the hill, hills and t- towards the rootlands. So that would involve a journey beyond Outpost 9. So I, I think that would be unlikely to be something that we'd get to in this session, but will definitely be a centerpiece for future sessions. In the beginning, I talked about identifying what was in the box, deciding what was going to be in the iron coffer, and how I used the the charts and the Dungeon Master's Guide to actually get there, and how that was going to have an impact on the campaign moving forward. There was a time when I was certain that there was going to be nothing in the coffer, or something of very, very limited value, because the coffer itself was the prize. And the thought was that there were multiple coffers, and that if you, and some of them were connected to others magically, that anything you put in one coffer and close the lid would magically transfer to another, and that Miggs was using these as a system to convey information. And I liked that idea. I still like that idea. I may use it on something else. But as I was thinking this situation through, I, I had a couple of constraints that I needed to fulfill. And one of them was that, Castagari's motivation in betraying the party was to say, if you knew what Miggs was up to, you'd be on my side. Which is to suggest that Miggs was up to something dangerous. And it felt like it had to involve the contents of the coffer. So, on a lark, I thought to myself, self? Let's say there's a magic item in the box. And I don't really know what I want it to be, so what the hell I'll roll on the tables in the Dungeon Masters Guide. So I did. There's a whole bunch in the fifth edition Dungeon Master Guide of tables about magic items. I rolled to see what they got, and I came up with me, I've got to look at my my notes. See what you get for having too many notes. That it would be a amulet of proof against detection. And location, so it's an amulet that prevents divination spells from working on them. I can't think of anything less useful for a second level party than that. So I saw that, and I was like, okay, uh, if I give this to them, it would it would have to have plot function as opposed to actual function function, right? I'm not handing them a plus one battle axe. So there are other charts in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which help to come up with the story around the magic item. And I have to say, I love this. My biggest problem with some prior editions of Dungeons & Dragons is that the players became uh, Christmas trees of ornaments, meaning they just had a horde of magic items in order to be effective. And these magic items were just... I've got a plus one this, I've got a plus one that, I've got this type of a cape, but there was limited story around these. And one thing you'll note in fiction is that magic items are very rare, almost always. I actually can't think of anything outside of the the D&D fiction where they treat magic items as anything other than extremely rare. And they always have a story behind them. And so they've got these awesome charts which helps to define this the story and so I rolled on the charts to find out well what's the story behind this amulet maybe that'll be interesting and to be fair the it's not all the charts let's not let's not take away you know my creativity here because it gives you just some basic stuff which then you have to flesh out so I rolled and it said that it was uh, created by humans okay great so it it I Connected it to the Arabathan Empire, which is the empire that's fallen. Okay, that's fine. Benign. Uh, and then the next thing it said was created for an ancient order of spellcasters and bears their mark. Okay, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. And then it said that it was made of a bizarre material given its use, but that that material did not make it any more vulnerable to damage. And it's that last one that really... cut brought it home for me because one of the original ideas I had for what was in the coffer was that it kind of comes to Miggs's motivation and what he was attempting to achieve. I thought the reason Castigari would have been horrified by what he was trying to achieve was that he was attempting to collect all the bones of an ancient uh, or of an, of an ancestor of his who was very powerful but also dreadful. And once he had all the bones he could perform a ritual to bring them back to life or unlife or something. There was this vague idea floating in that inside they were going to find a piece of a bone of a body and not know really what to do with it. And they thought, well, that's fine, but if he was so focused on that why would he let them why would he give the option for them to get that and not claim it just for himself? And so, in rolling through this, I came up with this idea that, okay, this amulet was made of bone. And then I thought, well, what if this, maybe not ancestor of Migs, because I think that's a little odd, but what if I were to say, uh, back in the, so using all of this in ancient order of, uh, of spellcasters, and that it was made of bizarre material, there was this sorcerer named Varkovian. And Varkovian was the last dragon sorcerer. In my campaign, dragons have left the world long ago. They were, And I thought, well, when that happens, maybe there can't be dragon sorcerers. On the plus side, I don't have any dragon sorcerer characters in the game yet, so I can say that. Varkovian, the master of worms, and when he died, so potent was his body with dragon magic that his bones were used to fashion magic items thought this was a cool idea and that there's a legend that says if someone gets all the magic items back together they have the ability to resurrect Varkovian I don't know if that's going to turn out to be true or false at the moment but I thought well this could be something very interesting and unique it's got a story to it some of the players may have a chance to know this legend and I I designed the amulet to look like, and there's a name for it, but I can't remember. But if you look at the chest bones on a human skeleton in the front over like the, the, the center piece, which is your, your breastbone, essentially, there's this, there's a sort of vertical strip with where the ribs come out of, and it would be a piece of that with, uh, with a chain attached to it that can hang around the neck and it would be discolored because it's it's kind of unbreakable and it would be fairly gruesome. And I thought this would be a, a, a good payoff to the mystery of what's in the box. So if they decide to open the box and keep that in lieu of the payment from MIGS, that was the option, they get it open, they look inside, they're going to find this thing. If they do the detect magic, they will detect magic. It'll be very strong abjuration. And if they do identify, they'll know what it's capable of doing. And hopefully they'll they'll be able to and I'll arrange it. So some of they know at least part of that story. And then the question becomes, are they then gonna be in pursuit of the rest of the bones? And because they knew that Castigari was saying if you knew what he was up to, you'd be on my side, are they going to presume that Miggs was up to this? And I, I think I don't have to answer all these questions, but determining what was in the box is kind of cool and that's it and it all came about as a result of rolling on tables in the dungeon master's guide that plus you know taking what i got from that and turning it into something cool and original so um i give uh, i give props for whoever decided to put those charts in the dmg i think it makes magic items a hell of a lot more interesting All right, so that's it. Uh, A little longer than I anticipated, a lot of information. And I'm probably not covering every single thing I'm doing in terms of prepping for the, or planning for the next session. There's going to be a lot of improvisation around this uh, because of the, the nature of what I'm doing. My goal is to get them to a point where they don't feel the absolute pressure of something bearing down on them and can make legitimate decisions about who they are as a group, why they want to get together. They can explore Outpost 9. One thing that I I did uh, that I haven't yet mentioned was I drew a very extensive map of Outpost 9. And then uh, through some gobbledygook, I was able to take a video uh, zooming in and moving around the map with a voiceover that I sent to my players. It's about, I guess, five minutes long that just walks them through outpost nine to, to talk about the different factions and what's going on where. That I think is is a really good thing to set them up for now being in this, in this outpost and maybe even uh, give them some points of interest within the city that they want to explore. So I imagine we're going to be doing some of that in the session as well. But it was about really drilling into the immediate scene that we left in and that were the cliffhanger that we left them on and that we're going to be picking up trying to defuse that situation. So I don't get into a weird spot where they've killed a bunch of city guards and now they've got to leave or, you know, be killed. But overall, overall, I'm anticipating a role-play-heavy session uh, with the potential for, for the beginning, at least, of what, would be, what will be the next adventure based on the decisions they make and the things they decide to pursue. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, throwing us a review, or sharing with your other gamer friends. Thanks for listening.